0: You are listening to Get Real podcasts. Abby, we'll just roll into this. Okay, we are live, okay. sort of. Yeah, we're, we're sort of live. And Dan, it really was like a battle for you to get here this afternoon, wasn't it? Yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> Speaking
1: of Florida, somebody cloned my debit card. And I'm so sorry oh. to be late. And um, I'm Dan. And it's uh, you do sound good that uh, FaceTime audio is strong.
0: Really good. Um,
1: somebody... I'm going to
2: stay in my car to make sure that we keep the good sound. The
0: acoustics in your car are phenomenal.
2: <laughs> I'm going to stay.
0: <laughs>
1: somebody uh, cloned my card, and they've been hitting gas stations and Amazon. They spent, including all the fees, about $2,600 in the last three wow. weeks. Wow. I was wondering, I was working my tail off, and I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> at the end of the day, I'd look at my balance, and I'm like, uh, really?
2: Something's wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: I'm supposed to have all these deposits coming in, and and I'm looking, and I'm like, whoa, And they were stealing from me for three, three or four weeks
0: now. That that's is awful terrible. i hope they give me the money back but. i still see the, the the smoke from the bottom of your shoes racing over here to the studio oh, yeah, i mean nice. you were like uh, like mercury no and then I, go, <laughs> then I go out it's been a wild day i go
1: out and try to get my my the vehicle to drive over here and the battery is dead so
0: i drove my work van you know so you know what that means to me i was just sharing this with abby on the line. This is going to be a really good interview. I mean, for all of that to get here to do this. Yeah. And really, for our listeners who are just joining into the middle of a conversation we've been having, we're just rolling with it real today. (laughs) I don't I just don't care, uh, really, (laughs) because this is going to be good. It's about being real. We've got on the line with us, Abby Lindo. I met her. Guess what? During the Extreme Tour in June. Shocker. Shocker there. And she was the first artist to perform. And I would have to say Abby is a gem to listen to. And I really believe that this is going to be a awesome interview because this is such a diverse individual Somebody that's extremely intelligent, extremely gifted. And I think you and I are going to get a lot out of this. And I hope our listeners get a lot of, out of this. It's awesome. That's what's happened to us a lot when we do these interviews. Abby, a lot of times Dan and I get ministered to too, in a huge way. Every and, time. Every time. I so
2: I really want you to stop with all the flattery and shenanigans. <laughs> I'm sitting here listening and I'm like, that's not even me. <laughs> like, that's not me. But thank you. She,
1: well, I, I'll give you this. I know since. I was unable to attend the uh, the Extreme Tour to be able to see you when y'all came, mm-hmm. and Glenn, since day one, I, it just when he came back, he was
0: like, oh man, Abby, and, and telling about your daughter. My and, daughter, and yeah, my daughter Sierra, mm-hmm. really, what you sang and shared, really resonated with my daughter Sierra, and she got the free CD from you that was yeah, the, I remember. The yeah. yeah i
2: definitely remember that because like i think what stood out on the extreme tour for me it's a very different type of experience than i even imagined it would be but what was substantial for me were those individual connections that you got to make with people and i feel like it discounted this this quasi notion that i was going to go and be about me singing in any kind of way it's not about me singing it was so much about me ministering and touching people and um Letting God do what he intended to do. And so, like, even talking to your daughter, I was like, oh, you like my stuff? Because I feel like I don't know what my demographic or audience is. You know, younger, middle, around my age. I'm 31. And it's like I have friends who like my stuff, you know. But she's younger. And I was like, I was flattered in a sense because I'm like, if it's, it's something you enjoy, wow. God, thank you for letting me do something that people... I'm worthy i had never performed live outside of my own church setting until the extreme tour
0: i would have never known that mm-hmm. i would have never guessed that that that, would that be was the first time
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you
0: were you were the first one to perform too and when that we is... were here in charleston they, they were hazing the new girl <laughs>
2: it's not hazing as much as it's they kind of determine the order i'm not sure if they're their process, but sometimes I would go third. Sometimes I would go first, and that was one of those times where I was like, "Okay, jump in." And I think for for me, that was a big thing I had to overcome—the fear of being in front of people. Because um, I think the enemy sometimes have has a way of destroying us, you know, hitting us where it hurts the most. And so the recognition that I took the step forward to say I would try this, and then to actually be received, and then to do it—oh, that was something else. And to have to conquer the fear of, you know, maybe people accepting or rejecting my work, being exposed in that way, that was very big for me. But I'm so thankful for that experience and that I got to overcome that because I felt better about me and what I do ever since then.
0: That's absolutely Mm -hmm. priceless. And I hope that's something that some of our listeners, because we have a lot of uh, listeners that are artists as well that are kind of emerging Mm -hmm and coming out of their shell in a lot of ways and for dan and i doing this podcast even though we did this something similar to this on radio many many years ago Mm -hmm. uh, like 18 years ago was it oh man 18 years ago we did this on radio (laughs) getting old (laughs) Mm -hmm. um this has been a coming out of our shell for us but coming out in a different way experiencing the Lord in a whole different way. And as we've taken these small steps forward, Dan and I, we kind of looked at each other when we started this, kind of like, what are we doing? Where's this going? And all of a sudden now we've got all these things that are going on and really what it boils down to. And you said something that's so precious about the Extreme Tour is that it's about the relationships and the connections
3: right?
0: and the connections that were made, even in that small time in the Wayland Park in in North Charleston. Mm
3: -hmm. What's
0: the fruit that's been born out of that really has just been absolutely amazing for me in in a lot of ways uh, in that and what's going on here. So you were born in Jamaica. Yes. How long did you live there?
2: Uh, I left Jamaica when I was um, four. My parents uh, separated. My sister passed away. She had uh, leukemia. And I think these events, you know, were the catalyst that kind of the relationship asunder and my mom immigrated to Canada and then to Maryland where I grew up
0: Okay. So you grew up in Maryland then. Okay. Yes. Okay. What Do you remember anything about Jamaica that really strikes out about the church there or anything? Do you have any memories of that at all? Oh,
2: oh! I don't have to be there to know about the church. That's very different. Um, The church there, we grew up, uh, we grew up predominantly uh, Pentecostal. And um, the church there is the church here. The church is one big unifier for the diasporic Pentecostal body of Jamaican worshipers. And there are a lot of hymns, because I know that you you mentioned that or saw that on my site. There are a lot of hymns, I grew up singing hymns. We grew up with um, a lot of, um, we grew up with a lot of like, there's belief in the supernatural, because I feel like sometimes that's suppressed in many denominations. Um, so speaking in, in tongues, the fruits of the spirit, uh, there was a lot of um, very like robust and loud and lively worship. So I'm very much used to that aspect of a church service. And, like, I think that so many of the things, that there are a lot of parallels between the message of the actual, like, not homily, but, you know, the sermon between a, 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 like, a black American church, and Pentecostal church, or Baptist church, and Jamaican. So those things are typically traditional as far as the church there and the church here.
0: Can you share with us how you came to the Lord and how you came to realize that he's called you to minister through music?
2: I think that's like a, a twofold thing, not, not just a two-part question, but when I was a child, you know, the word tells you to train up a child in the way they should go. So I, you know, as an adult, I didn't depart from it, but I had to have my own um, connection with, with Jesus in order for me to, to stabilize that because so many things will come to challenge it. So I don't want my mother's Jesus. I want my Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like backwards because people are like, I worship the Jesus of my grandmother, my grandfather. I'm like, no, I want Jesus for me. <laughs> I want to have a real relationship and a real walk with Jesus. I mean, I was, you know, like you said, there's this thing that happens. You, you uh, go to school, you get intellect, and sometimes it challenges your faith. But I was rooted because Jesus revealed himself to me. So although I was baptized when I was maybe like 14 or something like that, and um, Florida, when I was going to school there, and we lived a few years there in South Florida, like Fort Lauderdale area, we dedicated my life and and kind of refresh my spiritual walk in my early 20s when I was doing my undergraduate degree because God revealed himself new to me and ever since I was a child from my baptism or even before then I was writing songs I remember for my 13th birthday my mother gave me a Casio keyboard and I wanted to write as I call them just Jesus songs I didn't call them Christian songs or gospel songs or CCM you know I didn't have a genre I was 13 but I wanted to write Jesus songs, I wanted to write joyful songs, I wanted to write painful songs, and I never classified it as a worship or prison worship or anything like that, but I wanted to write songs about God, about my walk, and about my experiences and, and as a believer.
0: That's interesting you say that, because when I was 15, 14, 15, my parents got me a Casio keyboard as well, <laughs> and Dan and I even Forget did, we, we did a mock spoof of this uh, about a year ago. Oh, I, actually, it was the beginning of the year where I would play everything in minor keys on my keyboard. And my mom would ask me, why are you always playing oh, in minor do keys? do better
3: than that. <laughs> okay. did you do the Simpson, Marge Simpson voice?
0: That's
1: Glenn,
3: a... why are you always
2: playing in minor <laughs> keys? <laughs> <laughs> it's depressing. <laughs> Were you writing sad songs?
0: I was, and I, I really can relate to that. We're going to talk more about that in a minute in relation to the degree that you're... That you're working on. And you didn't have a genre when you started, and really your genre kind of. Goes all over the place right now, which is awesome because that's the way the spirit of God works. You can't put the spirit of God in a box.
2: <laughs> you, I like how you spun that. <laughs> that credit
0: <laughs> one for Glenn today, Dad. Give me a high five, oh, man. Nice. I just I am rolling nice. today. Yes. Without coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many cups I drank before you oh, got here. Okay, so. <laughs> great. That explains a lot. I am I'm running off of that. So you fuse a little bit of pop reggae and electronic. In your in your music, what are your what are your favorite styles?
2: Oh, favorite styles! I was I was that like kind of punk emo indie music kid growing up. So um, I like I liked how when I listened to different indie songs, they would use you know they would kind of deviate as far as a chord sequence or just timing. I like the the weird kinks in a song and I liked when I didn't I don't know I like the use of, of ele- experimental electronic sounds I feel like favorite genre is hard because there they were musical influences all over moving around as a kid like I stayed in Baltimore growing up but I left when I was eight came to Florida um, and then went back to Baltimore to finish high school and it's so different the the climate the cultural climate the socioeconomic climate everything is so different And the music was different, too. So I I was influenced by hip hop and pop and country and gospel. But the gospel in Florida sometimes was very different than the gospel in Maryland. In Maryland, there was more it was more predominantly black, uh, even the school I went to. So when we did concerts in high school, we did gospel concerts. We'd go to a church and do gospel concerts in high school and things like that inspired me because, you know, I, I liked the way that certain artists or certain concerts or songs we did tied in different genres. And I liked the idea of not being locked in a box as far as one type of music.
0: I have to share a secret. Dan, you probably okay. you, you probably don't know this and our listeners don't know this. But this is time for me to be vulnerable because I've never been really locked in a box, though. My mainstay is metal. Okay, mm-hmm. I know what you're about to say, uh, right. and I remember this, <laughs> all right. and I have refrained from bringing this out. <laughs> okay. So back when, back when I was in college, the place that I would hang out was the local dance club. Maybe I don't know. Okay. And I liked techno. I liked electronic. I liked all mm-hmm. of that. I liked rave. I was really into that. And what I figured out how to do, there was even a point in time where my dad was going to buy me a DJ mixing board so that I could mm. learn how to do mix. And I was doing mixtapes, not, you know, not just one song and then another song. But what I was doing as I figured out how to use the pause and record button on the on the stereo that I had. To mix, and I would find the different beats and fuse the songs together and make mixes that way. Okay, cool. i, I That's not you what I thought that. you did were going to say. What did you think I was going to say? It was a fan club. Oh, of a certain time. okay. So, oh, do you want me? Okay, <laughs> Go Abby, ahead, embarrass okay yourself. I'm going to embarrass myself right now. All yeah. right, <laughs> Glenn, <laughs> okay. Glenn, the metalhead. <laughs> Glenn, the metalhead, almost became a member. Of the Paula Abdul
1: fan club. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to just bring a little bit of laughter there. Yeah. She
2: was very popular in her I, was, yeah. I mean, yes. it's not that strange.
0: That, did, that didn't dig him out.
3: I, I, <laughs> I still have
0: some of the dance mix EPs up on the record rack up oh. there. And I was really into that because there's a heaviness to it. It was... I like that. I like the heaviness of I, that. You type know what? Music. I, I can't even remember what she put out. I'm thinking, wasn't she? Isn't she
1: on straight like, up uh, now? Tell oh, me, do you yeah. really okay. want to okay. love me? That, yeah, that, oh, oh. that didn't help your case. That didn't help your case. And if you start dancing, I'm out of here. Help me, Abby. <laughs>
0: Stop. You, you used to give me a hard time about that on the radio show. I, I too, did. The Paul I Abdul did. fan club. I thought you were the president. I had the. I I had a friend of mine, and he and I, we both like Guns and Roses, and he went to a military college in the North and I went to a military college in the South. And there was one evening we were all together, both of our families. He's like, Glenn, I just don't understand you. You get letters from the Paul Abdul fan club and you subscribe to military history magazine. Your mailbox (laughs) is just a mess. So That's
3: funny.
0: But you know, like what Abby
1: was mentioning about growing up partially in one culture and then going back and getting steeped in another culture a lot of that really does, I think, prepare you in different ways for ministry. I think at yes. last count, including college, I went to about 17 schools, which sounds amazing. Wow. But um, I went to four different kindergartens, you know, and it wasn't because I got wow. kicked out, <laughs> it wasn't for biting people or anything. But I, I do think I even look in my own life and I can go into a room and it could be any type of person. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I used to live there, and I I, I feel like I can relate to them better. I think it's a ministerial
0: asset in a way when you you get that. And, Dan, for you and I and Abby, I'm going to ask you this question in a minute because this is a theme that I see through all of your songs. Everything in our lives, not just our lives, but everything in everybody else's lives, God has arranged and ordained for his purpose and for his glory. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything is sovereign, and that's just for me. It took us a while to figure that out. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's like I'm confused. Yeah, I'm confused. The guy in Florida
1: hitting my credit card. (laughs) No, but it's ordained. I sat there and said,
0: "God, you know,
1: there's a reason. Yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason."
2: I think when you start to look at things like that, like, what am I learning from this? What, what process is happening with this? It really changes your outlook on life and how you handle things like that. Yes. Because I go from zero to stress in no time. But when I sit and think about, even when, I, when you have offenses between brethren or just people in your life, you're just like, what is their motivator? What is the thing I'm learning from this? You start to be more empathetic and more understanding because you're looking at it in that scope. And I feel like it's just this kind of like dangerous, disarming like tool, you know? Yeah. So the the enemy can't pull you out like he used to pull you out. Not saying you don't get upset or sad, like frustrated, like what's going on? Where's my money (laughs) in your case? (laughs) Yeah. um,
1: I like the way you put that zero to stress, you know. In, yeah. in the morning sometimes I do my morning ritual and I try to tease the back of my mullet a little bit because I like it to look... No, I'm just joking. But I usually listen to Paul Abdul when I'm doing my do morning really? morning yes. ritual. Do you Do you? No, oh. I'm just messing with you. But no, that's, that's good. That's a really good point because when you see that things are sovereign and that God is in control and how merciful he is, because a lot of... For our listeners, you may be sitting there and going like, wow, you know, you hear Abby and she's talking about life experiences. She's talking about a loved one dying of cancer. I also had a niece die of leukemia. And right. um, at the age of nine, it was really heavy for the family. And right. when you begin bringing up even painful things and you have to deal with that, acknowledging God's sovereignty, it does something. It, it, it puts you in a place where you understand that God is merciful. That's why a lot of evil and a lot of bad stuff are allowed to go or allowed to be here because if he was like, oh, moratorium on all evil, you know, we would be the baby thrown out with the bathwater, you know. And and yeah. I'm like, no, God is
0: merciful and good, so that's um that's a big deal. That's a good point. And God's sovereignty yeah. is one of the themes that just really it could be where I'm at with God right now, but God's sovereignty is one of the themes that I see stick out in the majority of your songs I've been listening to what you have on SoundCloud. And it could be where I'm at. Is that something that you're purposely expressing because of your own experiences or God's sovereignty? How's that been revealed to you? Because you can't sing about it in genuineness genuineness without actually having experienced it. And I I can tell that that's something that you've experienced. How has that come about?
2: I think I've definitely experienced it, but I think I'm not even taking credit for it. It might be just some innate thing built into my perspective now because I'm not sitting and thinking that specifically. Sometimes um, when songs come to me, they come from a broken place. They come from a joyous place. You know, they come from um, different experiences. But again, like when I have experiences, I put it in the lens of what God is working in me or how things are changing or benefiting me, how my experience is going to even be something to benefit someone else and I think there's like a there's like a pain in that sometimes because you're relinquishing so much of what you thought your life was about kind of like even the transition now like you said you're gonna ask me about school I I, um I left like life (laughs) life that was established like I was a teacher I had a home all of these things we set in in order you know, we what's the saying? We make plans and God laughs, kind of, because that is what <laughs> happened. Like, we just made plans. I'm, I'm engaged. I have a house. I have a job. These are things that make people happy. And God, thank you for these things. And God is sitting there like, I gave you these for a moment, but, like, you don't even know what I'm really trying to do. Is this all you thought I had for you, kind of, you know? And I had to laugh about it because now... um, Uh, a year not even a year has passed since I've left everything and there's a sense of liberation and my music has that now like what I'm writing it feels different you know and I think what I'm trying to do is basically let that speak for my walk and so I guess if in my walk you're noticing in the music you're noticing that I'm acknowledging a sovereignty then that's just something in my walk And I think once you do that, it just feels good. It just feels good because it's not about you and it's not about your might or your your strength or your ability to do anything. Once Once you just relinquish that and realize that God is reigning and is controlling and has good things for you in the midst of everything. Oh, goodness. It's like this burden is just lifted and you can move about and do what you need to do knowing that he is in control. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I'm
1: rambling. But. No, no, no uh, that's crystal I'm going, clear. I'm
0: going to take that when I edit this and go back and listen to that over and over again because what you're saying is really resonating in me right now. One of the things that I've kind of noticed over the past couple weeks and months, because there's a lot of changes going on in Dan's life, there's a lot of changes going on in my life, and what, I've, what I'm have what i learning to do is not to fall in love with the season that we're in. Mm okay Ooh, I love yeah that. and, that's pretty heavy and we glenn. get focused on the season it's like okay i've arrived uh-huh. okay i'm at this job now or yes. i'm doing what i think god well what god wants me to do now and we get stuck there but we yes. can't do that but what we need to do is we need to be in love with the season giver yeah. yes no that's glenn that's that,
3: that just was, fed me yeah that both just they fed both
0: y'all fed me i'm over
1: here just uh kind of digesting. I knew this was going to be a good one. Well, I'll I'll tell you this. (laughs) I could feel it. When I was working, I was listening to one of my favorite books um, from A.W. Tozer, The uh, uh, Pursuit of God. Mm. And there's a particular chapter in there that's called The Joy, I believe, of Possessing Nothing. And he Mm -hmm. started talking about the difference between like how Adam and Eve were made originally as like this shrine to just enjoy and worship God. But then when we're born in a fallen state, we sit there and we want to put everything else in this world, all the gifts that he gave us from music and poetry and physical love and romantic love, all the wonderful things, we want to put it on the throne. We want to put it Mm -hmm. in that spot that was meant for God. And then as we walk, even as Christians, a lot of times we'll slide into regarding our own happiness, um, you know, all these different things. And sometimes it's very difficult when you look at something and go, you know what, God, I'm I'm willing to give this up and I want to serve you. And you have this death kind of experience about a dream or a disappointment or, whoa, and then you sit there and you go, God, I want to serve you. I desire your pleasure and your presence and the joy of you More than I do the stuff over here, and you kind of clear the clutter off that throne, you know. And it's and I think we're all three going through that type of thing. It's a it's a painful thing, but it is joyous, you know. It's real joy. It's a mixture of joy and
0: pain at the same time. Yeah, Jane.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Jane. I think I dated her. No, I'm just playing. I like (laughs)
3: Poi.
1: Poi. Poi. Okay, okay, poi. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that sounds like something you'd order like at a Thai restaurant. Yes. I'd like a big bowl of poi, please.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, but but it's um I love that. I love putting I love not being in love with the season and basically keeping him on the throne. Yeah, those are some listen, you guys are feeding into me. I had to be on campus today to do a study session and so that is I wasn't at church and I was like, ugh, I need a thing.
0: Well, here and we go. The thing. <laughs> That's Jane awesome. and Poi. Jane and Poi, and the uh, oh, yes, that. and and the revelation that at one time Glenn was almost a member of the Paul Abdul fan club. I yeah, mean, that is edification. <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah. right there. You see, once you slide that off the plate, God can really move. That's... <laughs> <laughs> now that you've abased yourself, I expect good things. <laughs> Thank you. I I appreciate that. So, Abby, you are very very busy. You are working on your PhD in ethnomusicology. Whoa. That I don't. I think I spelled that right on the notes here. But did we'll he pronounce
1: ahead. it correctly?
3: He <laughs> did.
0: Good. Nice. You were on the extreme tour. You teach.
3: Right.
0: You've got a new album coming out. You've got all of these things going on. How do you do this without getting frustrated, burned out, or entangled in just doing stuff and then missing God?
2: <laughs> okay, so I'll start. the back. Okay, so I'm not missing. I think. God is teaching me to be patient with myself. There's this, um, this notion that you have to be like everything to everyone, and I've kind of released that to a certain degree early on. But I, I still struggle to be all these things that I see myself being in a timeline that I've set. So God is saying, you know, all those things you described, I'm doing those things to different capacity, in different capacities, but I'm doing it now more with a better understanding that I don't have to do them with the same amount of urgency. So for example, the album that is coming out next year isn't even halfway done. And I am so content with it because I would rather take time and be right than be rushed and do nothing. You know, um, as far as teaching, I only teach in the midst of my assignment as a graduate student. So it's not a constant teaching. I assist students like how I did today, a study session or teaching a class or two, Um, or three throughout the semester. But I'm very glad that I'm not assigned as a teacher because as a graduate assistant, teacher's assistant, I just help with classes while I'm taking my own and working on my dissertation, which is just in the very beginning stages. Um, I think you asked about ethnomusicology, which is just, you know, um, it's a mixture of musicology and anthropology. So I'm studying cultures, people, and social networks within musical um, capacity. Um, And I think what's great about what I'm doing and the flexibility to do what I'm doing the way I am doing it with the PhD program is that again, it's not as linear. Time time is kind of functioning in a better way to accommodate all these different things I have to do. In a couple weeks, the semester's over and then I have time to just work on my music, just see family, just balance out social and productive life with my own creative things in school. So I think that's kind of refreshing, more so than when I was an educator, you know, as a teacher Even during the break, I'm still doing things, creating things, working hard, trying to do things for my students. Um, Because, you know, the teacher, we don't forget about the kids when we leave. We're always thinking about the kids, you know. And so even though you just named a lot of things, understanding what box they go in and how much time to allocate to each thing is very beneficial for me. And that's how I handle those things and don't get burned
3: out.
0: I would say that that takes a certain amount of wisdom from the Lord. And that ties into that patience and waiting for him in all of that to show you how to do that would that be a fair statement to say
2: that's a fair statement it definitely comes with wisdom because i've what you just have been in the burnout i've been there just teaching and doing other things and trying to make music and thinking i have to do all these things and god is like you're enough i love you you're going to have time to do these things. And I'm like, you're right, though. Yeah, like, you are literally in charge of everything, and I need to calm down. So <laughs> that's what it boils down to uh, at times. Like, right now, sure, I have these pressing things for school, then this pressing thing, or, or you know, other things take priority. But, like, God is just showing me I, I'm in charge of your time. I'm working
3: on doing better with that.
0: I was having a conversation with another gentleman this morning, and we were talking about putting these things in boxes, doing different things, because a lot of times what people do is they think, and this is why there's a lot of failed ministries, and this is something that I experienced personally, because when I felt called to ministry, I put everything else aside that God had knit into me to do. I just put it to the side and lived miserably in a place that I wasn't supposed to be in. But it's taking me, and I'm still learning how to do this. I have not really gotten the full grasp of this yet, but I understand what God is showing me. And, right. that, and that is, you can do all the things that God knit in you to do when you're submitted to him in his spirit, in right. his timing. And the example that I was using with the gentleman that I spoke with today was King David. Because you take a look at King David, in, according to the world, King David does not make any sense. He was a king. He was a warrior. He was a poet. A shepherd. A shepherd. He was a musician. He was making musical instruments. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things that he was Mm -hmm. doing that we didn't know that we don't know about. But he was just what you would consider what the world would call a renaissance
3: man. Renaissance man.
2: man. Yeah. 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 Most
0: definitely. You know, the degree that
1: you're pursuing, I find fascinating and I wanted to ask a question that Glenn and I have talked about, a bit of an open question. And it's something that just kind of you hear over the years, and you're like, yeah, that's somewhere in the Scripture. And it turns out I don't think that it is. But what is your opinion on this statement that music is the language of the Spirit? And, mm-hmm. I, that is, and if that's a long answer or something you want to... Think about that's fine, but I don't want to put you on the spot too much. No, I enjoy putting you on the <laughs> yeah. spot. There we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. But, uh, <laughs> Glenn <laughs> takes notes, and I, language, I mess with people. That's our kind of our just formula. Just
2: the language of the spirit. I think biblically, we can agree that uh, music has has a, a great deal of functionality in the life
3: of a believer.
1: I know that just through the years, and I think it was a pastor that Glenn and I had used to often mm-hmm. refer to music being the language of the Spirit. Languages. And many, okay. many times in the scripture, you'll see that prophets, David, who was used to prophesy the Messiah and the crucifixion, a lot of different things that happened, there would be a relationship with music. In the prophetic, yes. or music being yes. the language of the Spirit. I know right. that different writings that I've read, Rudolf Otto, um, uh, Nicholas of Cusa, that that would talk about it's so difficult to comprehend things that are holy, and it's so difficult right. for the finite mind to interpret or comprehend the infinite or infinite, mm. that oftentimes poetry and music and song is a more elevated and, and fluid kind of pneumatic way of being able to express things from a realm that uh, we're alive uh, to now being saved, but it's like, it's very difficult. And so I think there's credence within that statement, but that sounds like a fascinating, sure. like you could write a, a dissertation I, on something I, like that. Maybe I, you like, could, maybe you could, you could do that
3: you one. You
2: asked me this, but you've answered it in a way, but I think that's really, that's really um, a, 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 a strong uh, explanation I think when we recognize that we have a saying, you know, in, in the world, uh, music, uh, is the universal language and some people find offense with it, especially in my camp of academics, but universal in the sense that it breaks down these language barriers, you know, and when we're talking about things that are prophetic, things that are spiritual, things that are, um, uh, holy and beyond our comprehension at times, music isn't saying those things and music, you know is elevating or going beyond the simplicity or baseness of our Mm words. And so like you've illuminated it perfectly. And I think that again, scripturally we have all these instances where even we know that when we get to heaven, we're making music. Music is supposed to transcend something. And I think it does that because um, not to be super Jamaican, (laughs) but I think Bob had a few quotes that I really love, Bob Marley. And, and one of them is about, when music hits you feel no pain and he went in deeper and had to talk about it because this was a lyric in the song but music is supposed to move you in a way outside of the spoken words and even said poetry there's a poetry to music itself and i think you have a strong connection with god many people play a certain way and oh, I've, I've heard this and then people are saved by the way that they are playing music instrumental music hmm. and i think that god uses that as another tool for us to have a connection with him um, if we allow it, I think sometimes we hinder, you know, or we try and stand in the way of what God is doing. But the music as a tool, without any words, without anyone singing words, you know, even when you listen to worship songs now, and they utilize this a lot, they have onomatopoeic sounds or ahs or os, and it's moving. So yeah, you make a good point. I'm sorry if I again, I'm just going off. No,
0: mind. no, not at all. That's, that's enlightening. <laughs> I saw on your website you had a little piece about sorrow in sound and for me i like music that is a little bit more sorrowful sounding i'm very attracted as we talked earlier from to all it.
2: the songs you wrote in minor
0: yeah to a, to a minor key <laughs> and the ones that i listen to <laughs> in a minor key what have you discovered about that in people finding joy in sorrowful sounds even when there are no lyrics when it's just instrumentation or just maybe an ooh or an ah or or something like that
2: i think it's the potential for connection I think it's that that constant acknowledgement that we're looking for connection, and in the music, the sorrow that is transmitted in sound is something that we can connect and, and understand. It reverberates in us because it's something we've experienced. And I think when I'm, what I had written there was probably like, was that pertaining to like my studies and things? Yes, because, yeah. yes, it was. Like, yeah. I've, I've, I'm interested in like. Not just funerals, but just different ways that people mourn. And the music related to that, because like growing up in Jamaica, we have these hymns and songs and different things that we do for funerals or in the graveside or, or um, and, and other cultures do things differently because, you know, some people have a very quiet kind of solemn ceremony for a funeral, whereas Jamaicans like during the actual service, it's all lively music. The person isn't really dead yet. It's probably when you get to like the graveside where it's more real and like, understand it and understood and you're not know, trying to negotiate with it you know mm-hmm. but i think there's something it's one of those universals we connect and identify with pain or sorrow in music when you listen to jewish music klezmer music different genres of jewish music it's in minor mode it's in minor yes. because they're identifying with their painful uh, past and the music is transmitting that i think sorrow is something that we all it's one of those things that we all just go through at some point and so, music is a great tool to help us negotiate with it and it's, connect.
0: It's interesting that you bring up the Jewish music in the, in the minor key because it is written, in, most of it is written in minor keys. Right. I've always been very attracted to Jewish music as well. As a matter of fact, when I spent some time in Israel, uh, the Mizrahi mm. radio station was something that I'd listen to every day while I was at work when I was there. And mm-hmm. I connected with that. I was like, oh, I really like this. And it was minor and it, it moved me and if you take a look at the record and cd collection that i have here in the studio i have some jewish music and then i have gothic metal and then gothic electronic and and all that so most of the stuff that i have is in in minor key you know what it, what you were saying made me think of a particular scripture which when i was young
1: i didn't understand it was Sometimes some of the most marvelous nuggets in the Word are things that when you read them the first time, they seem like a contradiction or <laughs> seem like you trip over them or something. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. And I think that's a beautiful mm. verse. And I even think it's prophetic in, in this particular sense that when we're in this world we're enjoying the things of this world, and we know that, man, okay, it's, it's fun to eat. It's fun to be with family. It's fun to laugh and hang right. out with friends. But we all know that death is looming. We all know that 80% of the story is like—now, well, we try to focus— on the zippity doo dah, right? We try to focus <laughs> on the on the bluebird of happiness. That's all the side. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. What is it? The keep on the sunny side of life, right? So we we mm-hmm. we want to focus on that, and we can kind of pull cozy covers and hide under the covers from the the hard edges of life and death and so yeah. forth. But in general, the beautiful thing that I see about this is the blessing of even how God normally brings us into salvation. Is mm-hmm. through contrition.
2: Pain. Yeah. It's through
1: pain. It's through contrition. It's through I think of that um who was it, the when the two men went into the temple to pray and you got the the publican lamenting his lack of righteousness. You know what I'm saying? And he's sitting there, he wasn't happy pappy getting ready to waltz into the kingdom. He was down, he was low, he was humbled, and and God said he went uh, Jesus said that he went home justified. And there's I think musically we all kind of know that the gist is a little bit more on the melancholy side—the right. the fall of man, the redemption of man, the the fact of how many are going to be saved versus not saved. I mean, there's a lot of heavy-duty truths that don't just make me want to skip down the sidewalk, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and but we see that with great joy, but it's actually really serious stakes. And I, I think that that component, but that both of y'all were talking about about. The draw of
0: more melancholy or sad music is very powerful to the human psyche, you know. This is helping me understand me a little bit more. That's why I asked the the question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) From Paula Abdul to minor key music.
1: (laughs) That's a stretch. That is a stretch. but That was pretty sad music in my opinion. (laughs) I'm
3: just playing. Oh! Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just,
1: I I, I i guess some pop I kind of like,
0: but not a whole. Not lot. a whole lot. I'm, some I'm of it. No, I, you know. I, I'm the same way. But for some reason, that was I, that's I, just me poking fun at Glenn and something. <laughs> you have to understand, Abby. I've been making
1: fun of him for, for twenty twenty 20 something odd years. years now. About Aww, that I fact. Yes, and yeah. I think Wait, this
2: how long, how long have you been friends?
0: Oh uh, we actually went to college with each other and didn't know each other. And we were in some of the same classes together too. Yeah. But didn't know each other. Didn't so know each other. but the ribbing started, I think it was in nineteen ninety six, I would I say. So. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is something that's gonna go on through eternity. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So you're working on a new album now, like you mentioned earlier, and it's gonna pay homage to some of the older traditional gospel songs and and hymns, and you expressed on your website that it's going to have some new sounds as well. What's Dan and I, we both really like old hymns and gospel songs. I mean, they are just meat, meat and they really draw you closer to the Lord. I mean, you're getting a real good, you're getting good word through those songs. Mm. What is it that sparked this project for you?
2: I think in its entirety, um, a lot of it is me... I feel like it's such a stereotype, but kind of coming home, there's a part of me that loves electronic sounds, but I haven't done a ton of found sounds. So it's like, um, you'll hear more like, I don't even want to give it away or say it like that. Cause it's not just that, but like I'd be recording and you'd hear the street or you'd hear like different sounds integrated oh, cool. into it. Nice. And then as far as hymns, I mean, I grew up singing hymns. That's how I trained my voice. I always heard these hymns and it wasn't from a, a, a big singer or a name, although, Your Paula Abdul was... uh, My Paula Abdul is Mariah Carey, I guess, because I loved Mariah Carey growing up and I wanted to sing like her. But the hymns would just be any church sister who was amazing, who sang with the pain, who sang with the strength, who sang with meaning. And, you know, like that moved me. And so, I mean... A lot of Jamaican hymns are just the same hymns here. Um and one of my favorite ones was the Love of God, and I remember singing that with my mother. And my mother is a uh, <laughs> My mother is a serial alto. She is always altoing. So it doesn't matter what you sing, she will go under you and she will just like, so I soprano and, and I'll sing anything cause sopranos typically take the lead. So I'm singing cause I grew up singing and my mom always sneaks under the alto. So when we're singing, like we used to have a tradition every night, we would just come together when I lived with my mother and um, we'd sing a couple hymns. And she was very much, she, she's very much a strong believer, but she went through a period where she would do communion almost every night. And we did communion almost every night. And we would sing these songs, but we would sing these hymns together. And I don't know, it was just a strong connection that I felt to the music and its relatability to life. I keep bringing up this universals kind of thing that appeals to me. These universal things. When you write about things that other people can relate to, they don't have to walk in your shoes. They know it as well. You know, even the sorrow. Um, Yeah. These things keep coming up. Things you can't avoid in life, you know, and, It can be years later but the love of god is one of these hymns where the poetry of it it relates so much to life you know it's so much about your walk it's so much about you know just being tested and tried and things happening and just glorifying god in the midst of it
0: yeah when you when you talk about the universals it makes me think that one of the draws to that when you hear somebody else singing about the universals For me, it helps me to understand that I am not alone in these things, Mm -hmm. that these things that I'm going through are just not unique to me. But there's other people that have gone through them and it gives a ray of hope.
2: No, most definitely. Do you understand that when when I look at um, the teacher in me is very strong, (laughs) I'm not in the classroom, but the classroom is me. When I look at these videos of uh, there was one recently, it really moved me. There was a a black like um, teacher, this man, and he's in the hallway with a student who brought a weapon to school. And the camera caught it, like him hugging him. I saw it. We are longing for connection. Mm -hmm. When we have all all these things we do, the brokenness, the the increased suicide with with, um, uh, children who are under 18, we have the highest rate. It's doubled since like 2006, the highest rate ever. Of, of childhood suicide. Mm, we are longing yeah. for connection. These universals, they not only give us hope, but sometimes they help us to be empathetic and love and, and connect with each other because God, <laughs> the Bible has so many scriptures about loving one another and understanding one another because he knew it would be hard. Yes. Jesus was here with us. We were a mess.
3: <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, he yeah. knows it. No, that's, and yeah. we that's need beautiful. that connection.
2: It, it, it breaks me because I think about the, the biggest things I did as a teacher for me is is leaving and then having a a parent facebook message me like boy you really taught her and she loves music and it really brought her out of this dark place or whatever and i'm like i did something to who for what (laughs) And, and we're looking for these connections but we're afraid to say it and society trains us in a sense to not even be vocal about it but we need these connections and these connections aren't sexual things they aren't a monetary you know not being not having money or having you know it's not what they make it seem. It's just literally knowing that someone is there for you. Somebody is dealing with what you're dealing with. You are loved, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I saw that video that, that you mentioned, and he beautifully... And it was this beautiful, loving, masculine, disarming. It was a father to that yes. father. And I no doubt there's fatherlessness or something going on in the kid yes. that was being tempted with violence.
3: And
2: he wept. It was, he just wept. Did it was, did you see him shaking?
1: I did. That was moving yes. and beautiful. And I, I wouldn't doubt if if that teacher, uh, you know, is, is loves the Lord. Uh, on a quick note, I bet you and your mom— I've I've heard I have daughters that sing together and they've been singing together for years and years and years. I bet y'all's voices just beautifully uh, blend and mingle because uh, you, you know you hear family members that have been singing a lifetime with each other and it's just this. And also, there's probably mechanical genetic things that are compatible yeah. in that way. But I bet y'all sound wonderful together.
2: You know what's funny is when I was in Port Charlotte, which is the small city I came from, and she and I w- were at the same church. The The minister of music who I worked under, she'd be like, y'all do that one song y'all do so well. And it would be like, um, Israel Hot and Your Presence is Heaven to Me. You know that one? I don't. Who is like you, Lord, in all the earth? Matchless love and beauty, endless worth. Oh. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Lord, you are the cup that won't run dry. And then the chorus simply says, your presence is heaven to me. And every time we sing that song, she's like, you and your mother's voice, there's something about it. Come on. You, oh, you that,
3: blessed me. That, that was, blessed me. that right blessed me I got a
1: there. big smile on my yeah, face. Yeah, so right.
3: and I were like, oh, uh, coming when
2: through you, When we did that song together, they would be like, there's something about it. And I thought about like all those family bands traveling. I'm like, we need to get like three more family members together and just,
0: <laughs> there roll. you
1: go. Get a, get a big bus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a big multicolored bus like the partridge family yeah, there you go it. exactly no, that was beautiful yeah, that thank was you gorgeous wait
1: well, you know something um hymns i can't remember who said this but they were talking about um that the more theologically sound the more the word just renews your mind and, and you get good doctrine and good biblical knowledge when you have that depth you can really worship and it's mm-hmm. on a deeper level than obviously God touches our emotions. Obviously, we can express ourselves through dance or run around, do a cartwheel, right. do whatever you want to do. But when, <laughs> when you sit there and you have from the very depth of your spirit just this worship coming forth because you you kind of know God or you're starting to know God more and more. Yes. And to me, hymns just bring that out. Sometimes I don't even sing, I just listen and I'm like. I let other people sing it, I try to sing it, and it's speechless, and you're like, And and that blessed me just that little bit, man. Chill bump city. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. You're you're messing
0: with his hippocampus and what? My amygdala. Amygdala in the brain, exactly.
1: (laughs) I read this book about uh, music in the brain. And before we were, when he mentioned the interview coming up with you and and what you were studying, I read a book on Audible called Music in the Brain. And we were talking about where chill bumps come from and this simultaneous Uh uh, reaction from the hippocampus and the amygdala Uh, and and so forth. The
2: hippocampus is on both sides of your your brain and um when you play your practice music it strengthens your corpus callosum, which is that tissue that connects both hemispheres uh, and i think one of my colleagues is doing his phd on alzheimer's and how musical um, therapy helps uh with like just movement and kind of them regaining like their cognition wow it's not is, reversing the condition but mm-hmm. yeah so it, it's cool that you even that you read that book was it? What else was there? Anything else
1: insightful? Oh, oh, incredible! They said that uh, I'm I'm a nerd, obviously, but sure. <laughs> so I do a lot we of all reading. All <laughs> um, the. It was fascinating. One of the things that they said that they pointed out and was that humans were the only mammals that mm-hmm. can actually have a relative pitch detection. So if you were to sing "Mary Had a Little Lamb," right, and a, <laughs> a dog heard you, and then you so you did that. Your dog hears those as completely separate sounds. They have no relationship towards relative pitch. They cannot recognize that it was the same song being sung. And okay. only, humans are the only animals that can do that. And they were talking about why. And they, they pump a lot of evolutionary nonsense you know, with how it happened and blah, blah, blah. And it, But when I listened <laughs> to it, they talked about the, the fact that um, our baby... Uh, gestation period of infants inside the mother, and the fact that our babies are very dependent to be with the mother for quite some time after they're born, mm-hmm. that that space that is there made it so that um, the children have to—they hear two pitches. Also, the differentiation between the male and the female in, in humans, um, men have significantly lower, about an octave or so lower than females— so when okay. children are being brought up, they hear two different ranges of voices all the time. So when when I say something and my wife says something, she's talking maybe an octave higher. I, I don't know musically exactly where it was at, but they were talking about the ability to be able to process that. And I was thinking, I was like, no, man, there's so much more there. God gifted us specifically for Him to be able mm-hmm. to enjoy him, to be able to be musical in front of him, wow. and all of the yes. giftings that separate us from the lower beasts and lower forms of sentience on the planet—it's not some evolutionary accident that that happened. We were made in fashion to be able to worship him, and it was just—it's a good book. Just all the you know neo-Darwinistic blather—you know—you
3: got to <laughs> got to get past that. But the other part of
1: it was absolutely fascinating. I think you would find it interesting.
3: Ab- hmm.
0: Abby, where can our listeners find your music, and how can they best support you?
2: Wow, best support. I think the musical landscape, like as far as like sales and things like that, I don't know how that stands in in um, outside of like well, Christian music, all mainstream music. You have streams and like actual sales. Record sales are like nothing. People people can stream me on Apple Music, on Spotify. You said you heard me on SoundCloud. I don't even know if I've updated that, but I'm on Apple Music and and Google Music and Spotify and all those major things that people have. So you can find my last album there. And I think that was 2018. I'm like trying to remember all this time past because these years have been really full. But the best way to support, I mean, artists, we eventually make something from streams. But just to, I don't know, yeah, I guess just stream. Just listen to the music, say you love it, say you like it, say it's doing something. It really blesses my heart when anybody tells me the music touches them. I'm like Jesus. You see, like, don't play with me because I, I, that's like a, a call to reality. Like, keep doing what you're doing because sometimes what? there is this feeling of, oh, the plate is so full. I'm, I'm gonna, should I even do it? You know that comes ever so yes. faintly in my head, but I'm like, all right, just keep going.
1: No, you keep one singing. Person said, yeah. <laughs> you, to edified, like, you edified Ooh. us. Singing through the the iPhone right there in your car, so I would buy that. I would. So, I would. Um, yes. No. That was. Uh, oh, hymns. Bring more hymns. That's yes. From the please. request. Hymns. <laughs> <Yes>. hymns. Oh, <laughs> but those. that
2: wasn't. That wasn't a hymn. That was just Israel and New. That was uh, really? a new song. The hymn I kept referencing was the love of God. You know that one, right? Uh,
1: I don't. I mean, I probably would. I'm a horrible no, title.
2: Um, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell
1: oh wow oh wow no. thank you no, 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 no. i know what i you know i i guess i know some why, old old let me tell you why
2: ones. i love that old hymn it's, it is old it is pretty okay. old i think it's early early 20th century but it's not like I, no i think it was i think it was late 19th century so, yeah. But the, the third verse says, could we with ink the ocean filler where the sky is a parchment made? Right. So the ink is ocean, the sky is paper.
3: Beautiful.
2: With every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. So every man, he knows how to write. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, hmm. nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Wow. The poetry of this song Always gets me. It's such a beautiful song. Oh, that's
1: majestic. You know, back back then, it was more a literary culture. Now with, like, the text culture, we're like, God is big <laughs> and it's like oh man yeah, that was so anointed thank you brother thank you boy it's like can we that sing god is big good. I, no I'm, was good. I'm like, i joke about did, that yeah. the ocean,
2: you're like god is
1: big yeah, like, he is big whoa and he's, he's really big whoa and i'm like small and it's like whoa. whoa and a couple of likes in there you know no but that is that, that is profoundly <laughs> yes. beautiful and it'll stand the
0: test of time you know absolutely yes. will Abby, we are for the month of January. We are going to make you the prophetic artist of the month. So oh, we wow. are going to put your information up on the Lithos Cry website. That's Lithos L I T H O S C R Y dot And what we will do is put the links to your streams on there, so our listeners can go right there and stream uh, stream directly from our website and get acclimated or experience your music that way um, to help you out, but. That's what awesome. you do is just so beautiful. Can
1: can Thank I you. be? <laughs> can I be the pathetic artist of the month in February with my God is big? Yes,
0: you can. Okay. <laughs> we'll do that for if April. If
3: you made that song, I would probably
2: rock to it and be like, "My
0: God is
1: big." No, and hey, <laughs> if, it was, <laughs> if it was childlike faith, it could be very anointed and beautiful. Oh, it could be, and, but it's like See this. It, See, it? yeah. So um, that those I read a lot of older books, and it's like, oh, that just
0: the way they use the pen. Moved, moved yeah, did Abby, one of the songs that really moved me as I was listening to what you have on SoundCloud is Dead of Night. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we mm-hmm. are with my more minor <laughs> themes. Minor keys! <laughs> minor keys! <laughs> 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 but to me, when I was listening to the song, it's got the flavor of David's psalms where he experienced mm-hmm. periods of darkness. What was the message that you wanted people to gain from that song? What, what was it you were trying to convey?
2: I think that that song is very um, like straightforward, but like you're, again, here we go. Universal is just our dark times, our, our troublesome times. He is ever present. And those times are molding you. You know, um, you guys were talking about basically when people come to God, it's not like everything's pretty great in the world, so I might as well toss Jesus in the mix. No, it's like <laughs> something is going wrong. There are troubles. God is big, you know, and then you're like, I should is there for me and God is present. So in the sense, the song, which isn't main, which isn't major. It, it feels minor, I guess, to you just the <laughs> it sound does. of it.
0: Yes, it does. It, yeah. it,
2: it just, it, it's just reminding you like you are present. You hear my cries. You're with me through all these things. And that's this recurring theme that people need, because again, we're looking for connection and we're looking for something constant and steadfast in this changing world. And and Jesus is not going to fail us. Is not going to change. And, that song is just my reminder because my songs minister to me. I'm like, if nobody even hears them, you know, I'm I'm writing it and it ministered to me, you know,
0: it ministered to me when I listen to it. And mm-hmm. what I'd like to do is share that with our listeners right now so they can get a taste of what you do. The magic that you work right here on the Get Real <laughs> podcast uh, with the dead of night. Hey,
2: hey, yeah. I don't trust in the things I see. Every day I'm trying to trust more in what my faith agrees, even when the world is
3: crumbling underneath my Lithoscry.com